I am a Christian. I believe that Jesus is Lord, that he came, that he died for me, and that through faith I might have life in him. Now, for some of us, you're thinking, good, you better be, mate, you're on the stage, you preach about the thing, you better be a Christian. Some of you are just relaxed. I just saw Jago visibly relax in his seat. We're employing the guy, you better be a Christian. And hopefully, for some of you, that isn't totally surprising. But I want to ask, um, and as I say this, I want to suggest that just because I say I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm better than anyone else. Often I think my faith shows me the ways in which I think I'm worse. What I want to say today to you, if you are a Christian, if you say you were, if you were not, you're so, so welcome here. But what's the thing that defines us as a Christian? What's the thing that we would say uh, marks us out in that way? Um, I had this, um, the cause to think about this recently when I had to redo my CV. Now, when you do your CV, you look at all the things you've done, the things you've accomplished, your skills, your talents, and I had to review it. And then I had to thought, you know, come to my sort of skills section. I thought, goodness me, what would I put? And most of the things that I thought of were totally inappropriate. So firstly, I thought, um, maybe I should put the time that I punched my friend because he asked me to. So I thought, I can be violent on demand. Um, fantastic skill. Um, could I put that I'm a scout conquer champion? So if you need to someone to smash deciduous, deciduous plant seeds, this guy right here, um, please call on me. Um, and then I could also put, you know, that I was a county chess player and a chorister when I was age 10. And I don't often put those things, because to me they just scream power nerd. But there we go. And if you are those things, my charismations to you. So that was the first thing that came to mind as I thought about, you know, what defines us as Christians. The second was this. My friend was in a service just like this. And the person speaking said to him, what would you like on your gravestone? What do you want to be written about you? And the first honest thought he had was this. He said, because people were giving serious answers around him as the preacher asked. And he said that all he wanted to do was put up his hand and said, the phrase I want is, he had far more kids than we realized. <laughs> and then thirdly, as I looked at my CV and I heard my friend's story about the gravestone, I had a chance to go to my friend's mother's funeral. A very sad day. But it is at funerals we see what people really saw about people. And they don't talk about skills. They don't talk about trans, uh, transferable uh, gifts that they have. They talk about character. They talk about who they really were. So what defines you as a Christian? If you're to say, what, you know, I'm a Christian, what does that come down to? And so often, I think, it comes down to the phrase, I believe. That's the phrase I just opened with. I believe. And if you had a Christian CV, you might put that at the top. This belief, this thing, this qualifies me. This is the thing that I can say makes me a Christian. And this isn't totally misguided. Jesus will say, everyone who believes may have eternal life in him, himself. Belief is clearly a part of it. But what I think we do is make our belief the very central thing. We talk about our walk with God and we talk about our spiritual journey. My faith, my prayers. And Jesus does talk about our belief. Our belief is important. Our faith is important. Reinhard Bonnke said, faith is currency in the kingdom of God. And yet Jesus doesn't just do this. He puts the emphasis back onto God. and uh, He puts the emphasis today, we see, on the Holy Spirit. As we talk about, you know, what qualifies us, Jesus says so much more about the Holy Spirit than he does about our belief, even though he mentions that. And we're talking about the Holy Spirit today because we're beginning a new series on the Holy Spirit but instead of sort of going through truth in a propositional way, we're going to take stories of Jesus Christ and what he reveals to us about the Holy Spirit. 
Now, the Holy Spirit, um, that might be a phrase that you connect with. You go, yep, I know we're on sort of safe territory here. For some of you, that might not be the thing. Um, Even if we've been around church a long time, the Holy Spirit can be something, uh, depending on what church we come from, that we uh, think we know or we have a particular idea of. Um, You know, we may have some misconceptions. Um, Maybe you've heard the Holy Spirit referred to as the Holy Ghost. So you're sort of thinking he's sort of like the Christian Casper. Or has anyone seen the film Four Weddings and a Funeral? There's that brilliant scene where Rowan Atkinson is the priest and he's giving the wedding and he says, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spigot. And a spigot is a little um, plug that you use to um, put into a cask of wine. So is the Holy Spirit some kind of sanctified plug? Well, I don't think so. Is the Holy Spirit some kind of liquid? We talk about being filled with the Spirit. And, you know, as if we're sort of leaky vessels. Do we need to be filled is he an object? Because we talk about the receiving the Holy Spirit like a gift. Is he like the force in Star Wars? Some sort of invisible thing in the air. We talk about come Holy Spirit can fill this place. Is the Holy Spirit only at work doing the spectacular? Is the Holy Spirit only at work when we talk about miracles? Or is the Holy Spirit only at work when someone is speaking in tongues? And I have to say at this point, he isn't an it Jesus refers to him as a he. The Holy Spirit is a person. And most distinctively for us, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. We believe that God is three in one. The distinctive Christian belief that God is Trinity. That one God is three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we're doing a series on this in the run-up to Pentecost. And I just want to recommend a book that you'll see come up behind me. It's called God Inside Out. It's by a chap called Simon Ponsby, who is... Uh, teaching pastor in a church in Oxford, fantastic, fantastic communicator and theologian. And he's written a really good book, which I read recently, and I can heartily recommend to you if you want to get into this more. But today, the point for us is that the Holy Spirit is so involved and so at work within our journey of faith. Jesus doesn't point to our belief, he points to the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's consider his exchange with Nicodemus. You might want to read with me verse 1 from your sheet again. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. So the context for this is that Jesus, uh, there's the miracle at Cana, where he um, turns water into wine. And then in the temple, he drives out the moneylenders who were there. And then he is asked, uh, whose authority do you have to do this? And we have a slide with this, because the context here is, is John 2. And the, the Jews ask and say, what sign can you show us to prove your authority? And Jesus cryptically says, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. So he seems to answer their question with something cryptic. And of course, he isn't talking about the physical temple, he's talking about himself. But it says, now while he was in Jerusalem, many saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. So Jesus is doing the stuff. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing people. And the Jews are asking, whose authority do you have? And at this point, a man named Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, that means he is the member of the local ruling Jewish council, comes to him and says, we believe you are who you say you are. Or we believe, we think we know who you say you are. And Jesus says, be born again. Uh, Nicodemus says to him, we think God is with you. And he says, be born again. He says, God has to be with you because of the things you are doing. And Jesus says, be born again. Now, does that seem like a bit of a non sequitur? Does that seem like a bit of a change? 
the comedian, Dylan Moran. I love Dylan Moran, although he is always very irreverent. He talks about Jesus, and because he's a comedian, you never think that it's going to be kind words about Jesus. But he says, imagine if you're with someone who all the time speaks in parables, and he imagines a scene where he and Jesus are at the pub, and he says, Jesus, the bar's closing. What do you want? Do you want a quick half? Quick half? And Jesus, in this story, replies, there was a fox cooking eggs on a speedboat. So he died. Jesus didn't speak like this. Jesus here isn't changing the subject. And Jesus doesn't speak like some Eastern mystic. He is responding to this man, Nicodemus. He's not coming in with some obscure wisdom. He's speaking right into this man's heart and says, you must be born again. And uh, Jesus, throughout the passage, has these three no-one statements, as I've called them. We've got a slide with that as well. And he says in verse 3, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. And no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. And we're going to use these to go through this passage and to see the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had three no-one statements. He obviously had preachers in mind. Thank you, Jesus. You really are good. Three-point sermons, fantastic. And these three no-one statements reveal to us the work and person of the Holy Spirit. So the first one, let's consider it together. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, does everyone use emojis here when you text? Does anyone like a good emoji? Uh, I love a good emoji. It's the fastest growing uh, non... Uh, what's the word here? It's the fastest growing language in the world, basically, at the moment, at this point, that isn't an actual official language. And we have a slide here uh, with three monkeys, because um, I love to use the, these monkeys, uh, and they are see no evil, hear no evil, and speak no evil. And just have these monkeys in mind at this point, okay? Because Jesus says, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot speak the kingdom of God. You cannot perceive the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Think monkeys. It is the Holy Spirit that helps us recognize the kingdom of God. And by the kingdom of God, I mean, at its simplest, the rule and reign of God in this world. And it is the Holy Spirit that helps us perceive that. In fact, it is impossible to perceive the kingdom of God without the Holy Spirit. And when we think about who the Holy Spirit is, there's this fantastic verse, illuminating verse from John, 6, um, John 16, where Jesus is speaking. And he's speaking to his disciples and he says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. If you could just keep that slide up. I can see I've um, italicized two sentences. That's my work, not the original Greek translation. They don't even have punctuation, let alone typography. The Holy Spirit guides us And he glorifies Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit always directs us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, when Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will point you to me. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. And you can see, he says, he will not speak on his own. He'll only speak what he hears and he will tell you. So the guiding from the Holy Spirit means that he speaks to us. And this is not, I promise you, a work just for the charismatics or just for the special Christians or just for the anointed ones. Because we can only perceive that God is who he says he is and Jesus who he said he was and the kingdom of God because of the Holy Spirit. And we can see this in Nicodemus. Has Nicodemus got it? Because he says, we think you're from God and we think you're a teacher sent to us 
from God. Is that the Holy Spirit? Is he perceiving? No. Jesus says, you haven't got the whole picture. You must be born again. You've got to have a radical change in your perspective. Jesus actually says to him, you're Israel's teacher. You of all people should get this. You shouldn't be surprised that I say be born again. He says the phrase, be born of water and the Spirit. And that comes from uh, Ezekiel chapters 36 and 37. And I'm just popping this slide up. And God says to the people, I'm going to make you new. I'll sprinkle clean water in you. I'll put a new heart and a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you a heart of stone and put in you a heart of flesh on which I will write all my laws. This is the promised work of God. And Nicodemus does not see it. Jesus says, you should not be surprised. It is the Holy Spirit that reveals these things to us. The Holy Spirit helps us perceive the kingdom of God. Think monkeys. Fantastic. What else does the Holy Spirit do? Well, let's look at the next no one statement, as I called it. Verse 5. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Notice Jesus doesn't use language of becoming a Christian or giving your life to God or letting Jesus into your heart. He talks about entering the kingdom of God, which has a very full and rich meaning, especially if you're Jewish, and it's sometimes lost, lost on us. But again, talking about entering the kingdom of God reveals the, um, Jesus as Lord and God on the throne, not us doing something. The kingdom of God is the main theme in his preaching. He actually talks about it 70 times across the Synoptic Gospels. And the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. What we see from scripture is what John Wimber especially named. He talked about the now and the not yet of the kingdom. And there's a slide with these with two verses that you can see this in. Matthew 7, 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is at once this future thing that is coming. The now and the not yet. The not yet bit. It is coming. But then also, Jesus, when he's speaking, he says, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. The kingdom of God is this thing that has at once been inaugurated by Jesus and will come to his fullness at the end of days. And Jesus says, you only can enter into this kingdom both now and in the days to come if you are born again. Now, born, born again, that has loaded language for us, and possibly more so in American culture than in our culture. Being born again, do we think of you know, some sort of deep, intense emotional experience do you think of particularly very earnest Christians? I'm a born-again Christian. You know, I love moral frameworks. Um, and what Jesus shows is that being born again isn't just a deep, intense emotional experience of new birth and a sensation of feeling new. He says it's the requirement. It's what happens when you truly become a Christian, and that is enter the kingdom of God. And what happens? What's it mean to be born again? And the phrase, uh, well, Jesus shows us through three phrases. He says, verse 15, he says that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. We have a, verse, a slide for this as well. Then in verse 16, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. And then in verse 18, verse, whoever believes in him is not condemned. And the him there is referring to himself. And he says, in this moment where you believe who I am, then you are born again. At this point, God puts his Holy Spirit deep inside us, the one who has been helping us perceive the truth about God in the first place. And we are inwardly renewed. We're inwardly restored. 
At this point, as we talk about being born again, a new principle of supernatural life is put within us. And Jesus, uh, we can see a total change takes place because of the language Jesus uses. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh. Flesh, in this case, means being a human. The word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. So human, human beings give birth to human beings, but the Spirit gives birth to that which is of the Spirit. Do you see that we have changed? And we see as well, I think for Nicodemus, that it is not just reformation here, but it is transformation. It is not just trying to do good things. Nicodemus would have been a very good man. He would have followed the Jewish law as strictly and as closely as he possibly could have. But Jesus says, you must be born again. Even you, the one who has followed all of God's law, you must be born again. And we can see in Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a Jew, and the Jews believed that they, because of their birth, that they inherited the stuff of the Lord. On his body, on Nicodemus' body, was the sign of the covenant, circumcision. They believed that the fleshly birth in the Jewish race gave them um, access to God. And Jesus says to you, you must be born again. And this happens by God's Spirit when we believe. So how does this happen? How do we become born again? Well, firstly, most importantly, we see what Jesus has done in the final no one statement, as I termed it. Verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. And in this verse, Jesus says to Nicodemus, I am not just a teacher who's come from God. I am God. You say that God is with me. And of course, that's right. But he can say that because I am God. And he says to him, I have not come to teach you, but to die for your sins. I have not come to just give you moral principles to live your life by. I have come to be lifted up, is the language he uses. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And at this point, uh, Jesus is referring to an obscure story in Exodus, uh, excuse me, in Numbers 21. And uh, venomous snakes have bitten the Jews. But the Lord says to Moses, hold up a snake wrapped around a pole, and all who looks on it will be healed. And Jesus says, in the same way, I too must be lifted up, not on a pole, but on a cross, for all who see me, for all the poison with them of their own sin, for them to be healed in the same way. And it is this work of Jesus on the cross that enables this new birth, because Jesus takes away the thing in us that was separating us from God, that is the things we do wrong. Jesus paid the price to make us totally new, that we might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, for some of us, this language of being born again may resonate, and for some of us, it won't. Can you see why talking about being born again so appeals to those who are most broken, and those who are rejected, and those who are hurt? Because Jesus says, your life has a chance to be made totally, totally new. And can you see why this message is most fallen upon by those who have lost the most? And yet for so many of us, and I would say this is my experience as well in my life, I do not have this moment, I would say, okay, I was going this way, and now I'm going this way. My journey with God feels like much more gradual, with small moments of grace than rather than one big one. And maybe you resonate with that too. But Jesus says, for all of you, whether it's been small moments of grace or one big one, this has only happened by the Holy Spirit, who has been helping you believe, and who has made you new. Now, 
Does your life feel like it's been made new today? And I want to say that if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you have the chance today to give your life to God, to begin again, to have uh, a new life in Jesus, new purpose, new hope, new love. And if you are a Christian today, and as I'm talking about a new birth, you're saying, okay, that might be true for me, but I certainly don't feel that way. I heard this amazing uh, quote this week, and it really impacted me. And we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit quite a lot, don't we? Especially at the church. You know, we'll talk about prayer ministry and, you know, come and receive the Holy Spirit. And, um, you, you know, we, uh, we stand up after sermons and we say, come Holy Spirit. And we welcome God to do the thing. And if the Holy Spirit is indeed some kind of liquid to be received, then yeah, we better ask for it. And some of us may have it more than others. But if the Holy Spirit is a person whom we've all been filled with because he has been at work in us, revealing the truth of God and then making us new again, then it means that it's not about how much we have of the Holy Spirit, but how much the Holy Spirit has of us. You see, because believing in Jesus means totally surrendering your life to him. Jesus said to Nicodemus, I haven't just come as a teacher to give you moral things. I've come to die in your place. And when you believe in that, that you cannot save yourself and that I am the only one who can save you, then you are made new. And you might have believed that once. But are you living in the truth of that in your daily life? Is there a daily process of God saying, thank you for saving me. I give my life to you again. Have your will and have your way with me. And this is the most people who see the most work of the Holy Spirit in their lives are the most surrendered, I suggest to you. That is the picture of Scripture. And so really today, this is a call to us as we learn about the Holy Spirit, as we begin this series, it is a call for us to surrender our lives again to God. And I invite you, if this has touched you and this is for the first time, do not hesitate. But if you're hearing this and you think, actually, do, I do want more of God's life in me. I would love a sense of renewal once again in me. I'd love the Holy Spirit to reveal again what he has already been doing in my heart. Then I encourage you to surrender your life to God again. My life is not my own, but yours can be our prayer today.